Good morning, afternoon, and night, my book addicts. Since this is a bonus episode, we will not be doing any business. I don't think we have any. So, whoopee. Oh wait, maybe, okay, just a little bit. I'm doing it in a job interview tomorrow, so I'm gonna try my best to stick to my word, but schedule might be changed, but that's it, I apologize. Okay, so I'm going to be reading The Handmaiden's Tale by Margit, Margaret Atwood. Chapter 1. Night. We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. The floor was of varnished wood with, strips, with stripes and circles painted on it for the games that were formerly played here. The hoops for the basketball nets were still in place, though the nets were gone. A balcony ran around the room for the spectators, and I thought I could smell faintly like an after image the pungent sweet scent the pungent scent of sweat shot through with the sweet tint of chewing gum and perfume from the watching girls felt skirted as I knew from pictures, later in mini skirts then pants, then one earring, spiky green hair, or spike streak, spiky green streak hair. Dances would have been held there, the music lingered, the pal, pal, piss of unheard sound, cycle upon cycle, an undercut undercurrent of drums a forlorn wail garlands made of tissue paper flowers cardboard doubles a revolving ball of mirrors powdering the dancers with a snow of light there was an old sex in the room of loneliness an expectation of something without shape or name I remember that yearning for something that was always about to happen and was never the same as the hands that were on us then, there and then in the small of the back or out back in the parking lot or in the television room with the sound turned down and only the pictures flickering over lifting flesh. We yearned for the future. How did we learn it? With that talent for inaccessibility. It was in the air, and it was still in the air. An afterthought, as we tried to sleep in the army cots that had been set up in rows, with spaces between so we could not talk. We had flanneled flannette sheets like children's and army-issued blankets, one that still said U.S. We folded our clothes neatly and laid them on the stools at the ends of the beds. The lights were turned down, but not out. Aunt Sarah and Aunt Elizabeth patrolled. They had electric cattle prods swung on their thongs from their leather belts. No guns, though. Even they could not be trusted with guns. 
guns before the guards, specially picked from the angels. The guards weren't allowed inside the building except when called, and we weren't allowed out except for our walks, twice daily, two by two around the football field, which was enclosed now by a chain-link fence topped with barbed wire. The angels stood outside it with their backs to us. They were objects of fear to us, but of something else as well. If they would, if only they would look, if only we could talk to them, something could be exchanged, we thought, some deal made, some trade-off, we still had our bodies. That was our fantasy. We learned to whisper, almost without sound. In the semi-darkness, we could stretch out our arms when the ants went looking and touch each other's hands across space. We learned to lip-read, our heads flat in the beds, turning sideways, watching each other's mouths in this... Watching each other's mouths. In this way, we exchanged names from bed to bed. Alma. Janine. Dor Doris, Morana, Moran, Mora, June. Chapter Two, Shopping. A chair, a table, a lamp. Above, on the white ceiling, a relief. A relief ornament in the shape of a wreath, and in the center of it a blank space plastered over, like the place in a face where the eyes had been taken out. There must have been a chandelier once. They've removed anything you could tie a rope to. A window, two white curtains, under the window, a window seat with a little cushion. When the window is partly open, it open it only opens partly. The air can come in and make the curtains move. I can sit in the chair or on the window seat, hands folded, and watch this. Sunlight comes through the window too, and falls on the floor, which is made of wood, and narrow strips highly polished. I can smell the polish. There is a rug on the floor oval braided rags this is the kind of touch they like folk art archka made by women in their spare time from things that have no further use in return a return to traditional values waste not want not i'm not being wasted why do i want on the wall above the chair, a picture, framed but with no glass, a print of flowers, blue iris, watercolor, flowers of still aloud. Does each of us have the same print, the same chair, the same white curtains, I wonder? Government issue? Think of it as being in the army, said Aunt Olivia. A bed, single mattress, medium hard covered with blocked white spread. Nothing takes place in the bed but sleep or no sleep. 
I try not to be too much like other like other things now. Thought though thought must be r rushing. There's a lot that doesn't bear thinking about. Thinking can hurt your chances and I intend to rest. I know why there is no glass in front of the watercolor picture of two irises and why the window opens only partly and why the glass in its shatterproof glass in its shatterproof it isn't running away they're afraid of you wouldn't get far it's those other escapes the ones you can open in yourself given a cutting edge so apart from these details this could be a college guest room or the less distinguished visitors or a room in a roomy house for former times for ladies in reduced circumstances this is what we are now the circumstances have been reduced for those of us who still have circumstances but a chair sunlight flowers these are not to be dismissed i am alive i live I breathe. I put my hand out, unfolded into the sunlight. Where I am is not a prison, but a privilege, as Aunt Lydia said, who was in love either or. Oh, no, 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 no. As Aunt Lydia said, who was in love with either or. The bell that measures time in ringing. Time here is measured by bells, as once in, in nunneries, as, as in a nunnery too. There are three meals. I get up out of the chair, advance my feet into the sunlight, in the red shoes, flat-heeled to save the spine, and not for dancing. Red gloves are lying on the bed. I pick them up, pull them onto my hands, finger by finger. Everything except the wings around my face is red, the color of blood, which defines us. The skirt is ankle-length, ankle full, gathered to a flat yoke that extends over the breasts. The sleeves are full, the white wings are too prescribed issue they are to keep us from seeing but also from being seen i never looked good in red it's not my color i pick up the shopping basket put it over my arm the door of the room not my room i refuse to say my is excuse me is not locked in fact it doesn't shut properly I go out to the polished hallway, which has a runner down the center, dusty pink, like a path through the forest, like a carpet for royalty. It shows me the way. The carpet bends and goes down the front staircase, and I go with it. I apologize. One hand on the banister, once a tree, turn in, turn in another century, Rubbed to a warm gloss, late Victorian, the house is a family house, built for a large, rich family. 
Perhaps her grandfather clocked in the hallway, which doles out time, and then the door to the motherly front sitting room, with its flesh tones and pipes. A sitting room in which I never sit, but stand or kneel only. At the end of the hallway, above the front door, is a faint fan light the colored of colored glass, flowerless red and blue. There remains a mirror on the hall wall. If I turn my head so that the white wings frame my face, my oh, if I turn my head so that the white wings frame my face, direct my vision towards it. I can see it as I go down the stairs, round, convex as pier glass, pyrglass, like the eye of a fish and myself in it like a distorted shadow, a parody of something, some fairy tale figure in a red cloak descending towards the moment of carelessness that is the same as danger, a sister dripped in blood at the bottom of the stairs. There is a hat and umbrella. Oh, there is a hat and umbrella stand. The bent wood long rounded ring rungs of wood carved gently up into hooks shaped like the opening fronds of a fern there are several umbrellas in it black for the commander blue for the commander's wife and the one assigned to me which is red i leave the red umbrella where it is because i know from the window that the day is sunny I wonder whether or not the commander's wife was in the sitting room. She doesn't always sit. Sometimes I can hear pacing back and forth. A heavy step and then a light one, and the soft tap of her cane on the dusty rose carpet. I walk along the hallway past the sitting room door, on the door that leads to the dining room, and open the door at the end of the hall and go through into the kitchen. Here the smell is no longer a furniture polish. Rita is in here, standing at the kitchen table, which has a top of chipped white enamel. She's in her usual Martha clothes, which is a dull green, like a surgeon's gown before like a surgeon's gown of the time before. The dress is much the fine shape, long and concealing, but with a bib apron over it, and without the white wings in the veil. She puts on the veil to go outside, but nobody much cares who sees the face of Martha. Her sleeves are rolled to the elbow, showing her browned arms. She's making bread, throwing the loaves for the final brief kneading and then the shaping. Rita sees me and nods, whether in greeting or in simple acknowledgement of my presence, it's hard to say, and wipes her flowery hands on her apron and rummages in the kitchen drawer for the token book. Frowning, she tears up three tokens and hands them to me. Her face might be kindly if she smiled, but the frown isn't personal. It's the red dress she disapproves of, and what it stands for. 
She thinks I may be catching like a disease or any form of bad luck. Sometimes I listen outside closed doors, a thing I never would have done in the time before. I don't listen long because I don't want to be caught doing it. Once, though, I heard Rita say to Cora that she wouldn't be base herself like that. Nobody's asking you, Cora said. Anyway, what could you do, supposing? Go to the ponies, Rita said. They have the choice with the unknown woman and starve to death with the lord and lord knows what all, said Cora. Catch you. They were shelling peas, even through the almost closed door. I could hear the light clink of the hard peas falling into the metal bowl. I heard Rita, a grunt or a sigh of protest or agreement. Anyways, they're doing it for all, us all, said Cora, or so they say. If I hadn't of gotten my tubes tied, it could have been me. Say I was ten years younger. It's not that bad. It's not what you'd call hard work. Better heard than me, Rita said. I opened the door. Their faces were the way women's faces are when they've been talking about you behind your back. And I think you'd heard. Embarrassed, but also a little defiant as if it were their right. That day, Cora was more pleasant to me than usual, Rita more surly. Today, despite Rita's closed face and pressed lips, I would like to stay here in the kitchen. Cora might come in from somewhere else in the house, carrying her bottle of, oven, of lemon oil and her duster, and Rita would make coffee in the houses of commanders there are oh. and Rita would make coffee in the houses of the commanders there is still real coffee and we would sit at Rita's kitchen table which is not Rita's anymore then my table is mine we and we could we would talk about aches and pains illness our feet our backs all the different kinds of mischief that our bodies, like unruly children, can get into. We would nod our heads as punctuation to each other's voices, signaling that yes, we all know about it. We would exchange remedies and try to outdo each other in the pitiful of our physical mysteries. Gently we would complain, our voices soft in minor key, and mournful as pigeons in the eaves troughs. I know what you mean, we'd say. Our quaint expression you sometimes hear, still from older people. I hear we were coming home. As if the voice itself were a traveler, arriving from a distant place, which it would be, which it is. How I used to despise such talk, now I long for it. At last, at least it was talk, an exchange of sorts. Or we would gossip, the moth is no things, they talk in England tales.
passing the unofficial news from house to house. Unlike me, they lived next doors. Like me, they lived next doors, no doubt, and see things with their eyes inverted. I've heard them at it sometimes, caught whiffs of their private conversations. Skullbone it was. Or stabbed her with a, need a knitting knitting needle right in the belly. Jealousy it must have been, even her. Or tantalizingly it was tote, you know she used. She worked like a works like a charm, but you'd think you'd tasted it. Must have been that drunk, but they found her out all right. Or I would help Rita make the bed bread sinking my hands into that soft, resistant warmth which is so much like flesh. I hunger to touch something other than cloth or wood. A hunger to commit the act of touch. But even if I were to ask, even if I were to violate decorum to that extent, Rita would not allow it. She would be too afraid. The Marshas, Marthas, are not supposed to fraternize with us. Fraternize means to behave like a brother. Luke told me that. He said there was no corresponding word that meant to behave like a sister. Sortize, it would have to be, he said, from the Latin. He liked knowing such details. The diversions of words, curious usage, uses. I used to tease him about being pedantic. Pedantic? I take the tokens from Rita's outstretched hands. Hand. They have pictures on them of the things they can be exchanged for. Twelve eggs, a piece of cheese, a brown thing that's supposed to be steak. I place them in the zippered pocket in my sleeve where I can keep my packs. Tell them fresh for the eggs, she said. Not like last time. And chicken. Tell them, not a hen. Tell them who it's for, and they won't mess around. Hi, I say. I don't smile. Why tempt her to friendship? I want to say real quick. I want to say chapter one, night. I believe that was part one night and then when I said chapter two is part two shopping I apologize I don't know okay we're on to chapter two now I go out by the back door into the garden which is large and tidy a lawn in the middle a willow weeping catkins around the edges of the flower borders in which the daffodils are now fading and the tulips are opening their cups, spilling out color. The tulips are red, a darker crimson towards the stem, as if they had been cut and are beginning to peel there, peel there. This garden is the domain of the commander's wife. Looking out through my shattered roof window, 
Head block is the infinite honeys on a cushion. A light blue veil thrown over her wide bargaining hat. A basket at her side with shears in it and a piece of string for tying the flowers into place. A garden detailed to the commander does the heavy digging. The commander will strike threats, pointing with her stick. Many of the wives have such gardens. It's something for them to order and maintain and care for. I once had a garden. I can remember the smell of planted earth, the plump shape of bulbs held in the hands, fullness, the dry rustle of seeds through the fingers. Time can pass more swiftly that way. Sometimes the commander's wife has a has a chair brought out and just sits in it in her garden. From a distance it looks like peace. She isn't there now, and I start to wonder where she is. I don't like to come upon the commander's wife unexpectedly. Perhaps she's sewing in the sitting room with her left foot on the footstool because of her arthritis, or knitting scarves for the angels of the front lines. I can hardly believe the angels have such need of scarves. Anyway, the ones made by the commander's wife are too elaborate. She doesn't bother with the cross and star pattern used by many of the other wives. It's not a challenge. Bar trees march across the ends of her scarves or edges or eagles or stiff humanoid figures. Boy and girl, boy and girl. They aren't scarves for grown men, but for children. Sometimes I think these scarves aren't sent to the angels at all, but unraveled and turned back into balls of yarn to be knitted again in their turn. Maybe it's just something to keep the wives busy, to give them a sense of purpose, but I envy the commander's wife and her knitting. It's good to have small goals that can be easily attained. What does she envy? What does she envy me? She doesn't speak to me unless she can't avoid it. I am a reproach to her and a necessity. We stood face to face for the first time five weeks ago when I arrived at this posting. The guardians from the previous posting brought me to the front door. On the first day, we are permitted front doors. But after that, we are supposed to use the back. Things haven't settled down. It's too soon. Everyone is unsure about our exact status. After a while, it will be either all front doors or all back. Aunt Lydia said she was logging to the front. Yours is a position of honor, she said. The guardians rang the doorbell for me, but before there was time for someone to hear and walk quickly to answer, the door was open anyway. She must have been waiting behind it. I was expecting a Martha, but it was her instead. In her long, powdered blue robe, unmistakable. So, you're the new one, she said. It didn't 
She didn't step aside to let me in. She just stood there in the doorway, blocking the entrance. She wanted me to feel that I could not come to the house unless she said so. There is push and shove these days for such toeholds. Yes, I said. Leave it on the porch, she said. This, she said this to the guardian who was carrying my bag. The bag was red vinyl and not large. There was another bag with the winter coat and heavier dresses, but that would be coming later. The guardian set down her bag and saluted her. Then I could, I apologize. Then I could hear his footsteps behind me, going back down the walk and the click of the front gate, and I felt as if a protective arm were being withdrawn. The threshold of a new house is, lonely, is a lonely place. She waited until the car started up and pulled away. I wasn't making any feints, but at the part of her I could see with my head lowered, her blue waist thickened, her left hand on the ivory head of the pin the large diamonds on the ring finger, which must have been fine and was still finely cut, ripping the nail at the end of her knuckling finger failed to, filed to a gentle curving point. It was like an ironic smile on that finger, like something mocking her. You might as well come in, she said. She turned her back on me and limped down the hall. Shut the door behind you. Excuse me. I lifted my red bag inside. She no doubt intended, as she no doubt intended, and closed the door. I didn't say anything to her. Aunt Lydia said it was best not to speak unless they asked you a direct question. Try to think of it from their point of view, she said, her hands clasped and wrung together her nervous fleeting smile it wasn't easy for them in here said the commander's wife when i went into the sitting room she was already in her chair her left foot on the footstool with its pivot point cushion rose in baskets her knitting was on the floor beside the chair the needles stuck through it. I stood in front of her, hands folded. So, she said, she had a cigarette, and she put between her lips, and gripped it there while she lit it. Her lips were thin, held that way, with the small vertical lines around them you used to see in advertisements for lip cosmetics. The lighter was ivory colored. The cigarette must have come from the black market, I thought, and this gave me hope. Even now that there is no real money anymore, there is still a black market. There's always a there's always a black market. There's always something that can be exchanged. She then was a woman who might bend the rule. But what did I have to trade? I looked at the cigarette with longing. For me, like liqueur and coffee, they are forbidden. So, 
So old what's-his-face didn't work out? She said. No, ma'am. I said. She gave me what has might what might have been a laugh, then a cough. Tough luck on him, she said. This is your second, isn't it? Third, ma'am, I said. Not so good for you either, she said. There was another coughing laugh. You can sit down. I don't make practice of it, but just this time. I did sit on the edge of the stiff back chairs. I didn't want to stare around the room. I didn't want to appear initiative to her. So the marble mantelpiece to my right and the mirror over it and the bunches of flowers were just shadows. Then, at the edges of my eyes, Later, I would have more than enough time to take them in. Now her face was on a level with mine. I thought I recognized her, or at least there was something familiar about her. A little of her hair was showing from under her veil. It was still blonde. I thought then maybe she bleached it. The hair dye was something else she could get from the black market. But I know now that it is really blonde. Her eyebrows were puffed into thin, arch lines, which gave her a permanent look of surprise or outrage or inquisitiveness, such as you might see on a startled child. But below them, her eyelids were tired-looking, not so her eyes which were the flat, hostile blue of a midsummer sky in bright sunlight, a blue that shuts you out. Her nose must have once been what was called cute, but now it was too small for her face. Her face was not fat, but it was large. Two lines led downward from the corners of her mouth. Between them was her chin, clenched in clenched like a fist. I want to see as little of you as possible, she said. I expect you feel the same way about me. I didn't answer, as a yes would have been an insult. I know, contradictory. I know you aren't stupid, she went on. She halted without smirk. I read your file. As far as I'm concerned, this is like a business transaction. But if I get in trouble, I'll have, I'll give trouble back, you understand? Yes, ma'am, I said. Don't call me ma'am, she said irritably. You're not a Martha. I didn't ask what I was supposed to call her, because I could see that she hoped I would never have the occasion of call, to call her anything at all. I was disappointed. I wanted, then, to turn her into an older sister, a motherly figure. Someone who would understand and protect me. The wife in my position before this had spent most of her time in her bedroom. The Marthas said she drank. I wanted this one to be different. I wanted to think I would have liked her. In another time and place, another life. But I could see already that she wouldn't have liked that I wouldn't have liked her, nor she me. What was I thinking of it? 
Um, she put out her cigarette, half smoked, and a little spilled ashtray on the lamp table beside her. She did this decisively. One jab and one grind, not a series of gentle taps, favored her many of the lines. As for my husband, she said, he's just that. My husband. I want to be perfectly clear till death do us part. It's final. Yes, ma'am, I said again, forgetting they used to have dolls for little girls that ask you if you pull a string at the back. I thought I was sounding like that voice of a monotone voice of a doll. She probably she probably longed to slap my face. I can hit us. There's scriptural precedent, but not with any implement, only with their hands. It's one of the things you fought for, said the commander's wife, and suddenly she wasn't looking at me. She was looking down at her knuckles, diamond-studded hands. I knew where I'd seen her before. The first time was on television, when I was eight or nine. It was when my mother was sleeping in on Saturday morning, and I would get up and get up early and go to the television set where my mother studied and flip through the channels looking for cartoons. Sometimes when I wouldn't find any, I would watch the Growing Souls Gospel Hour, where they would tell Bible stories for children and sing hymns. One of the women was called Serena Joy. She was the lead soprano. <sighs> I apologize. Um, she was ash blonde, petite, with a snub nose and huge blue eyes, which she turned upward during times. She could smile and cry at the same time, one tear or two gracefully slid down her cheeks as if on cue, as if her voice lifted to its highest notes of tremulous effort. Excuse me? It was after that she went on to other things. The woman sitting in front of me was Serena Joy, or had been once. So, did you force her talk? Alright, that is the end of chapter 3, and that is all I will be reading tonight. As you guys can tell, I am very tired, and I have clothes to put away. So, I hope, my book addicts, you have enjoyed this, these three chapters. Um, I really do recommend the TV show. I don't know how it will compare to the books, but it's still a great TV show nonetheless. I, I recommend it very much, and the fourth season is coming out soon, I believe. So, check it out. Um, my mom and I watched it on Hulu, so if you have that, you could probably find it on YouTube, but don't quote me on it. Um, so, have a great morning afternoon and night my book addicts and i'll see you in the next installment goodbye